When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go paper-tarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome back to part two of our episode on the Belvedere, which also turned into an episode on buried cars and on time capsules, which are Scott and I's new favorite thing. Yeah, and this episode is going to have a little bit of everything. I mean, there are cars, there are time capsules, there's unusual items, there's there's lost time capsules that we'll mm-hmm. talk about, which uh, you can still find out there if you, uh, if you have that kind of adventurous spirit. Well, yeah. Uh, uh, by the way, if you have not listened to part one of this episode... Go ahead and check that out before you check this one out because it is just lousy with spoilers. It's got all kinds of information about the uh, about the, the Belvedere that was buried famously, right? Mm-hmm. Infamously at this point. Yeah, right? there are the Tulsa Rama. Exactly right, and uh, and the uh, the resulting mess that came from that whole thing, and and where the car is now, who owns it, all that stuff is there. So there's a lot of information out there. There's a lot of articles that I feel like our listeners would be interested in in reading as well. Um, just. A simple online search, a, a Google keyword search, will will turn up so much information about this because uh, when this thing came out of the ground, it was big news. It was big yeah. news about a week before it was to come out of the ground, and then of course a w- about a week later uh, for a, a completely different reason. So what we would like to do is to tell you about a few other time capsules that you may not have heard of. Yeah, that's right, because there are my friends other buried vehicles uh, that are still out there still waiting to be unearthed and uh, there's a couple of them there's maybe two or three that i want to mention here in the end but there's so much other stuff happening as well that i feel like it's valuable just to mention some of the other things that are going on because there are articles if you search for uh, amazing time capsules or something sure, like that yeah. you're going to find them on sites like gizmodo or mental mm-hmm. floss mm-hmm. Um, you'll find all kinds of fascinating things that you had no idea were buried all around maybe the city that you live in um, you know, the state that you live in, wherever they're, they're all over the place. And, uh, one that caught my eye was, uh, George Lucas had buried a, a time capsule. He buried it on his Skywalker ranch uh-huh. back in 1997, I think is right around when he did it. Now he says he doesn't even know all the things that are inside this time capsule. He just doesn't remember. But a lot of the stuff he, he, he mentioned, uh, in an interview that with, uh, I think it's called Wired magazine. Uh-huh. Yeah. He, a lot of the stuff is, uh, like artifacts from Star Wars and from the company itself. So there could be some very valuable, very interesting things in there that, uh, you know, George Lucas himself owned and has for some reason decided these were a good thing to put away. 
Interesting.、Mm-hmm. Interesting. You got to wonder what's going to be in there, like a working TIE fighter, maybe? I, <laughs> maybe. And, and how big is this thing? It doesn't say anything about size. It doesn't say when this thing is going to be unearthed.、Mm-hmm. Uh, nothing like that. A lot of these will tell you when they're supposed to be dug up. Like there's one from、uh, the University of Pennsylvania. It was buried in 1940, and it's scheduled to be opened in 2040. And, you know, people kind of, you know, maintain records for these things, as we'll talk about later. Yes.、Uh, but it's scheduled to be opened in 2040. And the time capsule itself weighs 450 pounds. It contains a speech that President Franklin D. Roosevelt made while he was at the school.、Um, and it's unclear what else is in there. So, you know, there's all kinds of、uh, speculation as to what could be in some of these time capsules. Yeah, and don't be fooled by the phrase time capsule because、mm-hmm. it's a bit of a misnomer. It's just that time vault sounds weird. Yeah, it, <laughs> so, it does. Yeah. So that's why it's a, it's a capsule. But these could be of any size and One thing that happens, we, you know, let's just get into this because you talked about the importance of keeping records.、Mm-hmm. I think that there's no better way to prove how invaluable that is other than talking about some of the time capsules that we lost. Oh, yes, that's right. Now we'll jump back and forth between lists here, but、mm-hmm. uh, you've got a very intriguing list in front of you as well. And it is,、uh, it's about lost time capsules. Now people know that they're out there.、Mm-hmm. They know that they buried something, say, in 1976, as a lot of people did for whatever reason. It was the bicentennial of the country. So they, they thought, well, what better time to do this? And we're going to have that opened in 100 years or in 50 years、sure. or whatever. Yeah. But along the way, you know, a new building is built on the grounds or, you know, maybe a new road goes through. Or there's a, a plumbing issue like,、uh, like what happened in Tulsa. Yeah, with the Belvedere. Yeah, exactly right. Or, you know, the, the, the keeper of the records is just gone. You know, they either passed away, they've moved on to somewhere else, they never really clearly laid out where that time capsule was buried. It was kind of all kept,、uh, you know, almost a secret, but not really a secret because it was、right. a, a public burial. But、um, everybody has just kind of forgotten about them. And, and there's, a, there's a bunch of those out there. And if you have, I guess, like I said, that adventurous spirit in you, you know, you want to find like, it's kind of like modern day pirate treasure. It really is. And this is, this is interesting because this relates to,、uh, some of the other shows that I've worked on here at How Stuff Works. You know, people are really good at losing stuff. It sounds crazy that to think that a group of people could say, we're going to put this time capsule. Right here, let's take some pictures, commemorate the day, and then, oh, what? We lost it.、Mm-hmm. But over the course of human civilization, we have lost entire cities. I mean, let us not forget that the city of Troy was considered to be mythical for hundreds of years until it was, you know, rediscovered. So it's not that strange to think that we could lose a time capsule. I'm going to save the most interesting one for last. But we'll, we'll alternate lists so it's not too much of a bummer to hear all of the lost time capsules. Yeah, because I have some that are, that are still out there that have、uh, some pretty amazing facts to go along with them. And most importantly, Scott, we know where those are. Yeah, I think most of them, anyways.、Uh, so this is, this is a weird one.、Uh, the MIT Cyclotron time capsule. Oh, yes. Dates back to 1939. So these MIT engineers put a brass capsule beneath A magnet used in a cyclotron,、uh, pretty creative. However, this magnet weighs 18 tons.、Uh, the capsule is supposed to be opened in 50 years, but they didn't do that. So 1989 came and went.、Um, and no one remembered it was there. Everybody forgot.、Uh, the cyclotron's been shut down a long time ago. And then MIT 
when they realized that it was still there, they had another problem. How do you get it out from under the 18 ton magnet? Yeah, there's, there's a, uh, yeah, there's a, a 36,000 pound weight on top of this time capsule that they know where it is. Yeah. They just can't get to it. That's the lost part. So no one's really, you know, like actively trying to get to this thing right now. It's still there. They know where it is, roughly. Yeah. I mean, basically. But, uh, but how is anybody going to do that? How are they going to engineer a solution for this whole thing, if ever? It's just so inconvenient, in my opinion. There darn well better be some amazing stuff for that brass capsule. Cause if I have to move an 18 ton magnet to find your postcard where you wrote like, good luck, 1989, we're officially not friends. Yeah, exactly right. And you know, that's the thing. And a lot of these, you know, these, um, these time capsules, they have the stuff that was meaningful to the people that, you know, when they buried it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't necessarily have to have any kind of value these days. I mean, it's not that you're doing it for the money by any means. It's more of just a, a sentimental thing. Right. Yeah. No, people aren't really hiding buried treasure in time capsules. Mm-hmm. Although sometimes, given the length of time between when a capsule is buried and when it is recovered, uh, things that would have been commonplace uh, a few decades ago become quite valuable. Well, sure. And that was going to be the idea behind the Belvedere, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that somebody was going to receive a car with four miles on it. It was going to be in pristine condition, right? Yeah, instant or, classic. Yeah, barn fine condition, maybe, mm-hmm. at, at yeah. best. Um, but, you know, they, they thought, well, this is going to do nothing but gain value as time goes on. And in 50 mm-hmm. years, somebody is really going to have quite a treasure here. And, you know, th- that's the same idea when they bury, like, um, you know, a $100, you know, government bond or something like right. that. Right, yeah, they, yeah. You know, it's going to gain so much in in, uh, in interest over the years that, you know, this is going to be worth who knows what. I mean, people can buy a, uh, a castle, you know, with this money in, in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it doesn't always work out that way because I think that was one of the other things in the, um, in the Belvedere car, right? Didn't they bury a $100 bond, I think? Or, no, it was, uh, it was $100 in a savings account. Yes. That was going to accrue interest mm-hmm. from 1957 through 2007. And then they said that the amount that is actually in that account now is something like $400. Now, that's four times the money that they put in there. That's great. But, you know, that's been 50 years. And yeah. $400 isn't really quite the windfall that they probably thought that it was going to be, you know, <laughs> 50 years in the future. That's true. It's It shows us that people are not the best at predicting what will be of value in the future. You know, I can't wait until um, – I'm sure there's a few out there, but I can't wait until we find some of those uh, – centennial not to be open for a hundred years or 150 years kind of time capsules who knows what we're going to find there it's like a bowl of mercury oh boy yeah something something dangerous <laughs> right it yeah. just may be but uh we do know that there are successfully recovered or waiting time capsules uh some of which also have some interesting things mm-hmm, that's right i've got another one here if you want to uh, yeah. just kind of go down my list here I'll, sure. I'll do a few at a time how about okay. that yeah all right uh, there's one in billings montana and the Campfire Girls Adventure Group Troop Number 23 buried this one, Ben. And uh, is buried in 1976. It's scheduled to be open in 2076, so that'll be America's tricentennial. Um, it contains a princess telephone, which I found pretty interesting. That's uh princess telephone is um like that very standard telephone that you would see from the 1970s. Yeah, um, on the little stand. Very, very common. Where the headpiece is on the little stand. Uh, no, this is just a very basic like uh, dial, like a dial face. Uh-huh. Um, you saw it in every sitcom, every, uh, every household practically had one of these. Yeah. Um, it was just a very, very simple, simple phone. Um, there's a digital watch, which 
That's kind of interesting as Whoa. well. A box of bullets. I don't know why the uh, the Campfire Girls Adventure Group was burying a box of bullets. That's interesting in itself. Is there a gun? There is not. It's just uh, a box of bullets. There are tapes of music and news programs and bicentennial stamps with a 1976 postmark. So in 1976, people went a little crazy with burying stuff, and, and a lot of these are from 1976. Uh, there's another one in Bunker Hill, Los Angeles. Now, this one was buried in 1961, and it was supposed to be open on May 9th of 2011, although the person who wrote this article at Gizmodo said they found no record that anyone has ever bothered to even dig this one up. So this could be another one that's out there still. Head out there. Get your shovel. Again, it contains an antique, te- it contains antique telephone equipment like transistors, solar batteries, and even an operator's headset. So, you know, things that they thought were, for whatever reason, um, um, I guess symbolic of the time is what they throw in there. But looking back now, I mean, is anybody going to bother to dig that up with uh, with some of this old technology in it? I mean, is it that interesting to people to, to really go out and seek that out to do that? I mean, it, it's cool to do it. I get it. Yeah. I understand. Yeah. It doesn't really have any any monetary value or not a, not a lot of monetary value. Not yet. But it could be cool to maybe put it in, again, like a museum in, in mm-hmm. downtown, like there in uh, Bunker Hill in Los Angeles, and uh, put it on display and say that this was you know underground for 50 years or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. How about this? Uh, how about a place that has lost not only one time capsule, but multiple time capsules? Uh, that, my friend, would be Corona, California. They have lost 17 Time capsules dating back to the 30s. You know what this means, guys? There's a time capsule thief in town. That's what it sounds like. It sure does, because... Uh, a they, serial time capsule thief. Yeah. They just tore up a lot of concrete around the Civic Center, said the chairman of the Centennial Commit- Committee in 1986, when they couldn't find it, uh, which makes, according to the Los Angeles Times, this gives Corona the dubious distinction of being the individual record holder in the fumbled time capsule category. All right. Now, how about this? I'm going to get to a, a time capsule that our car stuff listeners are going to find exciting. Yes. Sort of exciting, maybe. Yeah. But uh, I want to mention just a couple others on the way to it. How about that? And I'll Sounds do them good. fast, faster than I have been in the past. But you can you get the idea that they're, these are out there and they're everywhere, right? Yes. All right. So there's, uh, let's see, there's one in Crystal Lake, Illinois, that was sealed in 1976, supposed to be opened again in 2076. It contains a $1,000 government bond. Not bad. Um, there's a Martin Luther King Jr. time capsule, which is buried in 1988 at Freedom Plaza in Washington, D.C. It's scheduled to be opened in 2088. And that has some personal possessions of his, audio cassettes, and uh, some just some recordings that people recorded in, in, 19, in the 1980s. Um, let's see. There's also, oh, here's kind of a strange one. English High School in Boston, buried in 1970. Uh, but there's no scheduled opening date. So it's just there. They know it's there. No one has a date on it, you know, when they're going to open this thing up. Mm. It's said to contain hockey legend Bobby Orr's sweatshirt, and the rest of the items in there are unknown. They don't have, like, a record of what's in there. <laughs> but no one wants to dig it up because they don't want to be the ones to kind of spoil this thing that's there, you know, because they don't Weird. know when they're going to do it. I think they should set a date for that. I think I think dates are important and with make this. Make it 10 years out or something. Just, to, just sure. do it. All right, so, again, more stuff going on. But here's one that I think our listeners are going to find exciting. This is actually the world's largest time capsule, or it's or it's touted as being the world's largest time capsule. It's in Seward, Nebraska, and it was sealed in 1975, and it's supposed to be opened on July 4th, 2025. And uh, this, this time capsule is actually a 45-ton vault 
which contains uh, clothing from the 1970s and over 5,000 other items, 5,000 wow. other items, including a Chevy Vega car. Ah, so here we go. Here we We're go. back to the car stuff, right? Yeah. All right? So Seward, Nebraska, world's largest time capsule. You can go walk around and see this. You can see right where this is happening in, uh, well, in 2025. So how far is that from now? That's like uh, 11 years from now. Yeah. This thing is going to be opened on July 4th, and there's going to be a Chevy Vega inside that time capsule. Oh, gosh, I hope it's in good condition. Well, you know, hearing what we heard about the other vehicle, now, I don't think this one is underground. Okay. I don't think it's underground. I think it's in more of like a a, a big above-ground building, I believe. I'm not sure. Because I've looked at so many photos of time capsules recently, Ben. (laughs) Some of them are above ground and have a berm built around them. Right. Others are just buildings that are sealed. Mm. And others are below ground. And then some are just tiny little, uh, you know, like we mentioned, the brass chest and Sure. Some are put in statuary, which is kind of weird, I thought. Um, you know, they'll, they'll put something in like the head of a lion that sits outside of a courthouse. Yeah. And, uh, and that's to be cracked open, you know, in 100 years in the future. So all different places, but, uh, this one in Nebraska, I mean, I'm, it's only 11 years from now. Are we going to remember to even think about this when it happens or is it going to be newsworthy, uh, like the Belvedere was? I wonder. It depends on what. You know, it depends on what is in there, honestly, what condition it's in. I've got to ask you though, do you remember we were talking about the, the sealed cars in the, up in the, uh, factories in Michigan? Yeah, I do remember that. It's in, it's in Detroit. It's in historic Fort Wayne, which is on the Detroit River mm-hmm. in, in Michigan. I know that's confusing because there's Fort Wayne, Indiana as well. So it's in historic Fort Wayne and these are what they call the bubble cars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is like, um, it's like a visible above ground time capsule because these cars are perfectly preserved, but they're in these air bubbles, these airtight sealed, uh, recirculating air bubbles. They're so strange. And they're plastic, right? Yeah, it's in a plastic bubble. You can see through them kind of. They're a little cloudy. Uh, but again, pristine vehicles that are just sitting there waiting for who knows what. I don't know what the, the end purposes or who owns them right uh i think the city of detroit owns now though yeah it's been it's been i think these are cars that have been donated to the collection if you use paper you're a human but if you choose paper you're a papertarian someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet and also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day seriously it's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water it's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations 
questions that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already yeah. see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh, great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. It's it's weird because that is probably one of the best preservation methods I've heard Mm -hmm. for a car. And I just hope that that Vega... I hope it's all right, man. Well, you know, it's not a fantastic car or anything like that, but it was, you know, one guy's idea that, you know, this is this is part of, you know, who we are right now as a people in the 1970s or whatever, and I'm going to put this in there, and it's going to come out in, you know, when, I don't know how many years this was, I guess, seven, uh, 1975 to 2025, so it's uh, 50 years. Mm-hmm. So in 50 years, it's going to come out, again, a pristine 50-year-old vehicle that someone is going to find very valuable. Now, in 11 years, do you think a Chevy Vega is going to be worth a lot of money? No. It's going to be worth a fair amount of money if it's in good shape and low miles and all that. Eh. But it's also going to have dry rot issues. It's going to have its problems. Yeah. It's being stored like that. But I think that, you know, this this probably will come out of the ground safely, I mean, as opposed to what happened with the Belvedere. Because that was just a, uh, uh, I don't know, it seems like it was a, a confluence of events that yeah. just uh, didn't work out quite right. I mean, kind of a... I would file it under an act of God almost because there's no way you can control for that. Yeah. I mean, it's just, there, there's a lot going on there. That's yeah. Wrong. So, uh, maybe a perfect storm would be a better term. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's do some more lost time capsules. Uh, one of which should, uh, interest you guys, or I hope it interests you as much as it interests me. Um, first, a little bit of founding father mystery stuff here. Ooh. George Washington's cornerstone. Um, so the idea of burying capsules in some ways comes out of this Masonic cornerstone laying ceremony. So throughout hundreds of years, Freemasons have officiated rituals, which include placing memorabilia inside building cornerstones so you can recover it later. Way back in 1793, George Washington, who was a Freemason, uh, he laid the original cornerstone of the U.S. Capitol. The Capitol has undergone extensive expansion, modeling, reconstruction, but no one has found the George Washington cornerstone. That is very, very interesting. Yeah. I mean, how how cool would that be to find that from, what do you say, 1793? Yeah. And to know that George Washington himself laid that mm-hmm. cornerstone. Mm-hmm. It hasn't been seen since. Now, that's one that has historic value, probably monetary value. It's It's got yeah. it all, right? Intrigue. I mean, where the heck is that thing? I because hope it's cool. I hope it's not like a cigarette and a match. No, I don't think it's got the contents of a lady's purse. Remember that? <laughs> uh, they dumped, they kind yeah, of last minute dumped it in the belt here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I, I think that it's going to have some significant items in it. It's just what's, what's there. I mean, yeah, there's no content list, right? There's nothing that goes along with this. How much do you want to bet that some, we don't really even know if there's something in there. It's an assumption, mm-hmm. but how much do you want to bet that somebody already took it? You think so? Yeah. Are you kidding? Yeah. I don't know. You, or do you think they would take it and then say, oh, by the way, I found this cornerstone? I think they took it and didn't say anything. Wow. I mm. feel like that's within the realm of possibility. You're but kind that's... of transitioning over into your other show duties. Right? Oh, you know what? You're right. Let me pull it back. <laughs> Although we will get conspiratorial toward the end. Uh, so the next one, this might interest you guys, uh, the Bicentennial Wagon Train Time Capsule. Uh, this 
this is so fast. This is maybe one of the most fascinating ones to me. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Yeah. And I'm working off your notes here, Scott. So uh, you actually wrote, you gave this one a star for how intriguing it is. I didn't, I didn't want to forget this one. That's yeah. why it's got a star next to it. So uh, here's the idea. We'll make a time capsule and it'll hold the signatures of 22 million Americans. But on July 4th, 1976, mm-hmm. as, as we said earlier, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff happening on the, on the, uh, celebration of the nation's founding here. Uh, President Gerald Ford arrives for the sealing ceremony, and this is in Valley Forge, Pennsylvania, only to find that someone had stole the capsule from a van, from an unattended van. What, this time capsule is just hanging out in the back of a van? In the bicentennial wagon train. This all sounds a little shady. The capsule's maker, the Reynolds Company, had broken the mold. The thief's identity and whereabouts of the capsule remain unsolved to this day. So get this. Here's what's in the capsule. The signatures of 22 million Americans are on, yeah. the, on this uh, in this time capsule. It's crazy. And it's stolen. So it's out there somewhere. Someone has this in their garage, in their attic, in their basement, somewhere like that. You know, the, the thief's, uh, you know, the heirs of the thief or maybe who they sold it to or whatever. I don't know how this stuff gets traded around, but 22 million signatures from Americans that were supposed to be buried by the president, right? Right. And... What, I mean, where are they? What's the, what's the point of taking that? Somebody really likes autographs, maybe. I, I, don't, I don't know. No, how, how much, you know, material does it take to, to store 22 million signatures, by the way? And what would you do with it? You, you know, Scott, you and I are not very familiar with the underground time capsule trade mm-hmm. or the time capsule black market or something. But yeah, why did you take it? Can I tell you a little side note here? Yeah. 1976, I was pretty young. I was, uh, I was born in 1971. Okay. So like five years old. Yeah, yeah. Just over five years old. And I have a, a, a faint memory of going to something called the Freedom Train in 1976. And uh-huh. it was a train that they had painted red, white, and blue. And I don't know if it was like Amtrak train or something like that. And I okay. only know it's called the Freedom Train. I think it was the Freedom Train because I looked it up. And I think I hope I'm getting that name right. But it traveled all over the United States for that whole year. And it would make these stops in different towns. And you could tour the train. You could walk through the train and it had it had relics from you know like when the nation was brand new wow so like old stuff that should be in a museum but it's on this traveling train that you can walk through and it had you know like 50 exhibits or something like that and i have just a very very faint memory I, w- I was living in peoria illinois at the time and i know that my parents took me to some big event that was like this unusual train that was red white and blue it had to have been that I mean, let's look it up because we might be able to do an episode on that it must have been that and you know this whole thing with the the wagon train thing that you mentioned you know happening in 1976 there was so much of that type of thing going on it was like a historic uh, wagon train that went the opposite direction of the wagon train that they would have gone they they went from west to east in this case i believe oh you want to know something weird what Okay, this is a side note on a side note. All right. So on my mom's side of the family, one of the wagons that uh, that side of the family used to get around in the day before cars is in a museum in East Tennessee. No kidding. Yeah, they won't they won't let you take it though. You can't touch it even if you're related to the really people. Yeah. So you've gone and seen this. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I didn't understand because I was younger. You know, oh, what, why are we in this museum looking at this wagon? You know, but there's other stuff for my family there, too, like swords, all the neat stuff. Oh, that is really cool. Yeah, I guess they made the choice that they would put it in a museum instead of, I okay, Scott, I'm going to level with you. It's probably a lot of work 
to maintain a wagon. I bet it is. And I don't have the resources nor really the desire to do that. I wanted those swords, though. They were so cool. <laughs> They'd be cool to have on your, you know, hanging on your wall, but you know, yeah. now so many other people get to enjoy them. That's the, that's part of the benefit of giving these things to a museum is that, you know, everybody gets to see that instead of just hanging on someone's wall and it's, you know, restricted to whoever, you know, comes to visit you then. Right. Yeah. Whoever happens to be in the living room or something. Yeah. Yeah. It's, or, or, it's you know, gathering dust in the attic or something like that. So let's, let's stick with the vehicle tax, uh, because one thing that people may remember from part one of our episode was that the Belvedere is not the only vehicle buried in the time capsule. Sure. All right. We just mentioned the Chevy Vega, right? Yeah. In this, in this, uh, supposed world's largest time capsule. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also, this is, this is kind of neat, Ben. And this is kind of a, um, I've got maybe two more cars that I want to talk about. And one of them is very recent. And I don't know if you can even call this a time capsule. I'm going to stretch the, uh, stretch the boundaries of what we call in a time capsule okay. here on this one. Yeah. I just read a story that it's from this year. Uh, it's called Bay King Chrysler in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. All right, so this is a dealership, a Chrysler dealership, and they are the owners of a 1943 Jeep Willys MB, which is a World War II model Jeep. Yeah. All right, and uh, we've done a podcast on that, right? Mm-hmm. Very cool-looking Jeep, very, uh, you know, period-authentic-looking, uh, you know, Willys product. And what they were originally going to do with this brand-new dealership is they were going to install it on the showroom floor, and then build a kid's jungle gym all around this thing what? and allow the kids to kind of play on it and around it and everything, right? That's great. I guess it is, right? I mean, but uh, it would it would probably quickly be pretty, you know, ratted out, pretty trashed, I would guess. Yeah. I mean, kids yeah. are not gentle on stuff like this, right? Mm-hmm. They have decided instead to create kind of like this below-ground vault that is visible from the dealership floor. And the way they did that was with a, a see-through floor, or a see-through, yeah, I guess floor, mm-hmm. ceiling for the vault floor for the dealership. Yep. And you can walk right over top of it, but it's kind of on display right in the middle of the dealership now. When you walk in, you walk on top of this Jeep, and it's really a cool thing to look at. Um, I think the inspiration for this was someone, his brother, the guy who owns this dealership, his brother, had become kind of fascinated with uh, with this article where they're talking about a guy who had a wine cellar in his house that had a glass uh, top on that you could walk over, you know, so you could oh, yeah. see it from the kitchen yeah. as you walked over top of it. It's kind of an interesting idea, but they decided to do that with this Willie's Jeep. And uh, so far, you know, people really seem to enjoy it. I mean, it's 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 almost like a, you know, like a museum display. It's got gravel on the ground. The vehicle is in there. It's very tight in there. It's not, it doesn't have a lot of room. And I think there's a big um, a Jeep logo on the wall. But it's kind of like, um, it's sort of like a, a time capsule, but not exactly. I mean, it's not like um, it's hidden away and you don't know what the condition of it is. They probably have access to it. I don't think so. It no? looks like, okay. I mean, it, it looks like you cannot drive it out. I think it had to be lowered in with a crane. I okay. Think, I think. I mean, I was looking at the, um, you know, just some photos of it when they were installing it. Again, this is pretty new. Uh, but you can look up Bay King Chrysler and, you know, Jeep Willys, and it'll probably come up on a search if you want to do that. I. There's something else we should mention as well. Okay. This is one that's already been dug up. Mm-hmm. Is that all right? Sure. Okay. So in 2009, a 1925 Bugatti Brescia Type 22 Roadster, which uh, I know you love the Roadsters, right? I do. Uh, it was pulled from a lake in Switzerland. It had been sitting on the bottom for 70 years. Uh, when it was recovered, it was in a similar condition to that Belvedere. Mm. And I this bet. is... This is just, this is not so much a time capsule as to show everybody what kind of damage can happen to these. Mm-hmm. Uh, so 
it had to sit on a dolly just to be moved because the lake had eaten it so much. Salt water, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh the car was sold at the Bonhams Automobile Automobiles Deception auction uh in Paris in two thousand ten. And even then it sold as just this heap of lake jetsam. It sold for uh Three hundred sixty-four thousand dollars. Wow! Yeah, and uh, a number two condition Bugatti uh, had a valuation range at the time about one hundred fifty to four hundred thousand. Hmm. Okay, so someone's paying for the story behind this one. That's yeah. really what it is. And I think I remember. Are you getting to this part? Why it's on the bottom of the lake? If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, tell me why. I think that it was sunk intentionally by the uh, by the um, city officials or the government or whoever because someone had, uh, had not paid the taxes on the vehicle. Mm-hmm. And this was their penalty, that they weighted the vehicle and they sunk it right in the middle of this lake knowing that it would never come back up again. It was like um it was like a humiliation type of, I know. Type of sentence. Ooh, that's and like old testament style. It is, and I mean <laughs> that, that hits pretty hard when someone sinks your Bugatti in front of you, you know? 
Oh, but, yeah, I bet you had to be there to watch. What was it, 70 years ago? Yeah. I mean, you can imagine what 70 years at the bottom of a lake, a saltwater lake, would do to a car. And it, it is on display. I think they put it on display as is. Mm-hmm. Isn't that right? Maybe at a yeah. museum in California somewhere. Yeah, they yeah. did. And so this, I think, is an illustrative tale of what, again, like the Belvedere, what can happen with these cars when they're not touched mm-hmm. because uh, as cool and, and neat as the idea of just burying something like a car for a hundred years and then digging it up as neat as that might sound, it's just not practical with a vehicle. Definitely not. And you know what? I've got one more buried vehicle story that I want to get to, but I think that there's something that we should talk about prior to this because oh. there is something really cool happening just about two or three miles down the road from us here in Atlanta, right? Now. Oh yes, and you hipped me to this. Yes, this is a uh, this is a really cool thing. And I was talking with uh, with Josh Clark about this as well, just the other night, because I was doing some research here late. Hmm. He was also here late, and I mentioned it to him, uh, you know, that it was something fascinating that's happening here. And he said that he had already kind of looked into it for the uh, for the television show that they were on, you know, for the stuff you should know television. Show. Right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, he had known he knew about it. He didn't know a whole lot about it, but he said. Um, it's a fascinating topic, and uh, he was kind of interested in why we were going to talk about it. So I told him a little bit about the cars, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And um, maybe some of our listeners don't know about what's happening right here in Atlanta. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, Atlanta's own Oglethorpe University is home to the International Time Capsule Society, or ITCS, to its friends. Uh, this society uh, is also, you'll hear them called the Keepers of the Crypt of Civilization, uh, they were established in 1990 to promote the study of time capsules. So they estimate that there are approximately 10,000 time capsules in the world. Uh, but this is the weirdest statistic. Uh, they also estimate that no one remembers where 9,000 of them are buried. Uh, you know what I think leads to a lot of this? What? I think this is like when the high schools do this, maybe, you know, they bury the, the senior class. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And, and no one remembers it ever. You know, or, they may think back like yeah. we did that, but I don't know where it is, and it just goes away. Or it's um, because uh, time capsules happen on big commemorative dates mm-hmm. uh, or on founding times, right? Sure. What Like the foundation of a building is being laid and things like that. Sure. Big scale, small scale, it, it happens all over the place. Right. And because those buildings are around for so long and often used for many different purposes, yeah. then the different management. And they don't remember this stuff, but exactly right now. Yeah. But at Oglethorpe University, now they have this, uh, this, this. Uh, what was it called? The society, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. This, uh, the society was formed in 1990, but mm-hmm. this is all based around a time capsule that exists at Oglethorpe University that was sealed in 1940. And it, get this, Ben, it's supposed to be opened in the year 8113. Right. Which, when you told me that. You know, that translates to me very simply as, oh, it's not going to be opened. 8113 is when they they want to open this. Now, this is strange, okay? Yeah, there's why? A, there's a huge list of stuff that's buried in there, and maybe we can talk about that in a sure. second. But um, why the year 8113? Well, here's the idea. Um, and this this is called the o- Oglethorpe Atlanta Crypt of Civilization. Mm-hmm. And this is, uh, this is officially, they call this the first successful attempt to bury a record for any future inhabitants. Now, so this is like the birth of the time capsule idea. Yeah, according to them. Okay, according to them. I understand that. So the 1940, I think it goes back even earlier because the planning for it started in like 1936, I believe. All right, so here's what happens. There's a guy named Dr. Thornwell Jacobs. And Dr. Thornwell Jacobs, he's he passed away in 1956. So he hasn't been around for a long, long time. But he's also known as the father of 
of the modern modern time capsule because of this project. Now, mm-hmm. why 8113? Because that's a date that they set back in 1940. All right, the, the distant date of 8113 A.D. is proposed because when they first thought of this idea of opening a crypt sometime in the future, um, what he did was he calculated the first fixed date in history. And the first fixed date in history ever recorded, 4241 B.C., and that's when most historians agreed that the Egyptian calendar was established on that date, Whoa. right? So 4241 B.C. Uh-huh. Now, that was 6,177 years between 4241 and 1936 when his, he came up with this idea, right? Yeah. So what he did was he took that additional, he added, you know, that same amount of time, 6,177 years, on to 1936, and that's what he came up with. Eighty-one thirteen. So there's a method to the <clears throat> method. Yeah, well, yeah, uh, yeah. If you can call it a method, that's yeah, right, because he's so, the midway point now. So in 1940, he's saying in nearly 6,200 years, I want this capsule to be open. Now it's a huge, huge time capsule. It has something like, um, oh, I don't know, I can't even tell you how many items this has been. I mean, yeah. it has has things like dozens the, and dozens. Yeah, people like the King of Sweden have contributed to this. The Kodak Company contributed items. Sure, um, books and movies. Oh. The original movie script from Gone with the Wind is in there. Seeds, typewriters, sewing machines, mm-hmm. other high-tech gadgets. You know, high-tech, I'm, again, air quotes from uh, 1940. Sure. Like a radio, an Emerson radio. Mm-hmm. Uh, there have been dif- uh, synthetic fabrics, uh, rayon, uh, and iron. Uh, All of which would have been brand new. Lincoln logs. Did you ever play with those? I did. Yeah, me too, man. Yeah, they were very cool. And All know, I ever made were cabins, though. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, the, uh, and the other thing is that... A lot of that stuff is like um, very common, ordinary stuff. I mean, they'll be like um, you know shaving equipment. Sure, yeah, uh, knife and spoon uh, and asbestos mats, which was back then. That's the kind of thing. They had some mannequins in there, uh, two smoking pipes, wooden forks and spoons, uh, children's toys, a candle stand, uh, everything. And from what from what we understand about this. Uh, you already said, I think, that it's supposed to show in the entirety of what life was like at this time. That's right. It's supposed to show what life was like in 1940 in America. And, I mean, in 8113, or what was it? Yeah, 8113. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is anybody going to really care about that? Or is anybody going to even know, you know, where this thing is? I mean, what what are the records going to be like? I mean, because that's the other thing this place does, um, this society they're kind of unofficially known as the keeper of all records. Like if you bury a time capsule, let you, them know. You can let them know, and they'll they'll get coordinates and everything, and they will keep the record of where that time capsule is because they don't want any more of these lost time capsules out there. Yeah, and you have to wonder how irreverent that estimation of theirs is. Like, is it is it based on data or is it just a figure of speech where they say, "Well, they're around ten thousand, but no one knows where nine thousand well, of them are." Possibly, yeah. I mean, I think it's because you can only estimate, right? It's a little bit of hyperbole. Yeah. Now, there's so much information. If you go to um, the Oglethorpe University website, and again, this is like three miles down the road from us. We could right. we could go there and eat lunch and come back mm-hmm. if we wanted to. It's sure. that close. So it's a, it's kind of a fascinating thing. They've got a lot of information on their website if you want to look it up. Now, I got one last thing here, Ben. I know you've got one more thing after that that you'd like to cover. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So this one is another car, and this is a, this is a, um, another time capsule. This one is maybe a little bit more intriguing for a couple of reasons. Mm. We're going back to Tulsa, Oklahoma. And I don't know what their deal is there. I mean, I, I mean, I say that, you know, in a loving way, I guess. <laughs> um, but, but what is with Tulsa, Oklahoma burying 
Plymouth vehicles because they have buried a 1998 Plymouth Prowler in Centennial Park in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And maybe what's most intriguing about this whole thing is that a lot of the residents don't even know that it's there. A lot of people didn't really know what was happening when when they did this. When did they bury it? uh, They buried it in uh, on January 18th of 1998. Um, So this was also to sell. This is to celebrate Tulsa's 100th birthday. Ah. So remember, the other celebration was for Oklahoma. Oklahoma. This is specifically for Tulsa's 100th birthday, and that was January 18th, 1998. And the idea is that this is going to be open again 50 years in the future in 2048. And it was a car that was donated by Chrysler Corporation. You remember 1998, they were building um, Plymouth Prowlers. Yeah. So they, they donated this vehicle to this time capsule you know, project in Tulsa. This is prior to them knowing what had happened to the Belvedere. Oh, no. But the good news is that this one is an above-ground crypt, I guess, in that it's kind of looks like a building that they've they've buried under a berm. You know, so they've piled mm-hmm. up material around it. So it's not underground completely. And I hope... They, uh, they were a little bit more careful with this one than they were with the other one. Um, the above ground thing, you know, it's clearly visible. I mean, you can go to Centennial Park in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and you can walk over top of it and everything and, and see the, uh, the plaque that, you know, uh, denotes when it should be opened in 2048. And hopefully it will come up, um, you know, much cleaner than the 57 Belvedere did. Gosh, here's hoping. Okay. So I've got one, my very last thing. One more thing. And, Noel, you're going to enjoy this. Uh, so you're familiar with the Georgia Guidestones, right, Scott? I am. Okay. So for anyone who hasn't heard of this, and I know this is not quite car stuff, but uh, for anyone who hasn't heard of this, once upon a time, a guy using a pseudonym went to Elberton, Georgia, which touts itself as the granite capital of the world, and he requested that they build a very strange monument for him and the people he represented. And this has sometimes been called like Georgia Stonehenge or something like that. Uh, it has this set of um, ideas that people are supposed to follow apparently in a new world, right? Mm-hmm. And it's built to last and it has all these weird things that Stonehenge also had like lining up with astronomical data and stuff. Uh, and it's in multiple languages on these big, big, big granite blocks and there's a time capsule under the Georgia Guidestones. Oh, I didn't know that. I'm not sure if they dug it up or when they're supposed to, but there is one under there. I don't know what's in it. Uh, Noel did a fantastic documentary, actually, on the Georgia Guidestones, uh, but I don't know if he knows what's in it either. So uh, let's end it on a little bit of a mystery. Oh, sounds good. I mean... There's so many mysteries like this. Out oh, there. yeah. But uh, this Guidestone thing, I mean, if you if you take a look online, you know, again, keyword search, and you'll find some some really crazy stuff going on with the Guidestones. But uh, to know now that there's a, a time capsule there mm-hmm. as well, or, or maybe not, maybe it's already gone. Yeah, people still don't know the name of that guy. His pseudonym was R.C. Christian. Hmm. All right. Yeah. Interesting. It's uh, It leaves a lot of unanswered questions. Well, it's time for you and I to head out and go see what this International Time Capsule Society is all about, yeah, right, Scott? I definitely would like to. I mean, it's too bad they don't have a car in there because a car from 1940 that's being kept in a uh, in supposedly in a controlled environment yeah. like this is, I mean, that would fare well. Yeah, that's they have all this stuff except for a car. Yeah, they do. I mean, there's uh, there's pages and pages of things that are buried in there. It's really it's really pretty interesting. Uh, but you know, 
I just wish that that Belvedere had come out of the ground a lot cleaner than it did. Imagine the stories that would be circulating now about that, you know, yeah. the uh, the show circuits and things that it would, you know, where it would travel and how much it would be worth. Do you uh, think that the Smithsonian might restore it if they I, got uh, it? Hmm. I, I kind of don't want it to be restored. I kind of would like them to figure out a way to get it there intact, the way it is right now. And then just preserve it? without. Yeah, exactly, without having to uh, to resort to the donor, you know, mm-hmm. the donor vehicle to get it there. What do you think? You know, I I think that I would like to see it driving, but I don't know if it's possible. I don't think it ever will again. I don't think it's even possible. It's just those four miles. I know. That's all it got. <laughs> it's it, four miles, and it, and it looks, it's deceiving, because if you see it from, you know, a short distance away, it sure looks like it could be on the road. The outside, yeah. It, the it really does. They did a fantastic job getting the rust off of that Yeah, thing. but if you look inside... Yeah, remember, oh, there's a, as he said, there's a, as Foster said, there's a, there's there's mud shoring up the panels on that mm-hmm. thing, so it's a, it's definitely a wreck. And we are going to head out. We hope that you enjoyed this uh, two-parter as much as we enjoyed making it. And I'd like to hear your car restoration stories. Uh, I, you know what, I'd like to hear, Scott. I'd like to hear uh, someone who was told not to bother saving a car. But they saved it. And I want to hear if you're happy about it or if you think it was a mistake. Yeah. I bet uh, in most cases it's probably a mistake. But uh, there's, I hope there's some success out there as well. Yeah. I mean, I've I've seen it happen before when someone co- goes into a garage and it's like they're talking to a doctor when they say, give it to me straight. Mm-hmm. You know, how long does it have? Yeah. I think we've <laughs> all had that conversation. Right. So uh, write to us. Let us know uh, your car stories. Let us know if you've been involved in some time capsule stuff. Um, unless, of course, you stole a time capsule. Let's keep that to yourself. Yeah. Right? Or if you have those 22 million American signatures, uh, I would like to talk to you. Yeah. I'm yeah. fascinated by that. That's so weird. What a weird thing to steal. They must have thought there was money in there or something. Yeah, must have. Yeah. But uh, also, you know, if you've buried one and you didn't think about it until just now like oh yeah we did that you know in, <laughs> in senior, high school in high school yeah. senior year we buried one but i don't know if we ever dug it up you could be the biggest hit of your reunion awesome. my friend awesome. uh depending on when you graduated high school uh so check us out on facebook twitter and on our website to see stuff that you won't normally hear during the podcast or you might not hear during the podcast and uh tell us your car stories our address is car stuff at howstuffworks.com For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. So should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. Yes, we could go all electric with a Toyota BZ4X, but then there are hybrids like Grand Highlander. Or we could do something in between like a RAV4 plug-in hybrid. So Toyota is electrified diversified? Yep, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, the closer we all get to Toyota's Beyond Zero vision for the future. Exactly how much coffee have you had this morning? Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero.
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.